December 14th of this year, Twitter dubbed 2014 as the year of the selfie. Um, it's interesting because I remember uh, I was running this last week, and that phrase just came into my head, like the year of the selfie, like the year of the selfie. And, my, and this is just how my brain works. I said out loud, good God, is this why you gave us hands? Like I did. I was like, is this why we have hands? And it, it, it set me off on this, this thought process of what we do with these things that we have been blessed with. And, uh, and this is not an anti-picture-taking campaign, all right? Um, this is, I'm not anti-selfie. There were actually some really cool selfies this year. And if you don't know what a selfie is, this is what a selfie is. You take your camera, and you, you're not taking a picture of someone. You're taking a picture of yourself. And so you look in there, and you're like, wait, I'm not really sure if it's like... Is this the duck face? Where I don't I don't know how to do it, um, or or the arm on the side and the leg. I don't know. There's like this pose that is pretty. You, you do this with your arm and then you do this thing. And but you you would think you're taking a picture of someone else. And I've seen people take secret selfies, like they're pretending they're taking a picture of someone else, but yet it's like this, and you can see their faces. And so that, so I'm not anti selfie because there's some some cool ones I want to show you. This dude took a picture running with the bulls. I would have done the same thing, to be honest. I would have done the same thing. Um, there's a, this, whole, this whole trend of the extreme selfie where you're in a high place and you take a picture of yourself and you, you show it off. I would totally do that. I would absolutely. Um, there's the just in a plane crash selfie. This guy survives a plane crash and takes a picture of himself. I would do the same thing. Like, I can't think of anyone that wouldn't. You know, um, there's the, I was a part of a protest selfie. I have seen a lot of those this year. People taking pictures of themselves protesting. Lots of things being protested. There's the, uh, I've done good deeds selfie. There's the, the ALS challenge that everybody was doing this year was a, a chance for people to show off that they do good things. And so look at me, I'm doing good things. I took a picture with somebody that I was helping and serving. And, and so it was nonstop this year. Um, the I know famous people selfie where you jump into a picture with a whole bunch of your famous friends and then you post it on Twitter so everyone knows all the people you know. Uh, then there's the selfie-ception picture. This is the selfie within a selfie within a selfie. And if you see here what's going on, your brain will explode. All right, so this is, this is chaos. But I told you, when it comes to the, the, this whole thing, it's huge. You type in on YouTube, how to take the perfect selfie, 65,000 different results show up. And they're not short videos. That's the thing that bothered me. I was looking for like a one-minute video that said, you turn your camera around and you shoot a picture. That's what I was looking for. But they're like six, seven, eight-minute long videos on how to get the perfect angle not to make your nose look too big. How to get the perfect light. How to do this, how to do that, how to do these things. And I'm telling you, I'm not anti-picture. Because this is why I like this option. Um, I was at a conference up north uh, a while ago, and I had a chance to meet one of these guys who's been like a spiritual mentor from afar from me. And I got to shake his hand, and all I wanted was a picture with him. I just wanted to have a picture so I could say, hey, I hung out with him, I met him, I talked with him, I was able to thank him for what he's invested in my life, even though he doesn't even know who I am. And I turn around to hand my phone to somebody, and it just happens to be the oldest individual on the planet. And so I spent 45 minutes explaining to him 
how you press a button. And like, I really did. And so I hand my camera phone to him. He takes the picture and I'm like, thank you. Yes, forever imprinted in my heart. And I kid you not, it looks like the dude used watercolors to spread a picture of us. Like, you can't even tell who I'm standing with in this picture. And I'm just crushed. I'm like, if I have ever been a fan of selfies, this would have been a chance, you know, to do it. And I, and I understand why we use the cameras to take pictures of ourselves. Because we don't have to ask someone to help us. Because who wants to ask someone to take 45 pictures of me with the same duck face? Think about it. Next time you go to take a selfie, pretend you're asking someone to take the picture of you and see what happens. I'm telling you, it's just easier. You don't have to trust anybody to get the right picture because you can do it. You don't have to, to ask for anybody's help. You don't have to do any of these things. I understand Why? So I'm not anti-taking a picture of yourself with your friends and your family and all that stuff. That's fun. But when I started to think of the heart of the selfie, the idea of telling my story, that's when things started to stir. That's when things started to not make sense. That's when I was starting to go, God, is this really why these hands exist? To build my kingdom, to build my reputation, to tell my story. Or did you give us hands for another reason? And, and this, is the, this is the idea this morning. If you ever wonder why we have hands, just look at Jesus's. If you ever wonder why God gave us these hands, just look at Christ's hands. Because the answer will be clear. And that's what we have to do this morning. We have to look at Jesus. And we're going to use the Gospel of Mark to do that this morning. Um, in the Gospel of Mark, he's speaking to the Roman fast-paced life, and so Mark is known as the book of Jesus in action. Jesus doing stuff, the miracle worker, this disciple maker, this, this guy who's the suffering servant, this understanding that Jesus is not just a teacher, but he is God coming and serving. And that's a crazy idea, but he, in Mark's Gospel, he makes really clear why Jesus came. And Jesus came to die. See, I, I think some of us were confused about who Jesus is because we were confused on why he came. Some people believe that he's just a good teacher. Some people came, he gave us ideas on how to, he was pointing the way to God, but he's actually saying, I'm God. I'm the way to God. He didn't say, I am a way. He says, I am the way. He didn't say he is a light. He said he is the light. He didn't say um, that he was just an option. He said, I'm it. And he came to reveal that to us. And so Mark's gospel really dives into that very deeply. But in Mark chapter 8, Jesus says, I'm going to die. In fact, he uses words. I'm going to suffer. I'm going to be rejected. I'm going to be killed. I'm going to raise from the dead. In Mark chapter 9, he actually says the same thing. But he says, I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to be killed. I'm going to be raised from the dead. And it says the disciples were so confused by Jesus' statement, they were like, I'm afraid to ask him what he's talking about. And just in case the disciples didn't get it, in Mark chapter 10, Jesus unpacks it even more. And he gives an even more graphic description of his death and what's going to come. And he says, he uses words, betrayed, trial, falsely, falsely accused, spat upon, whipped, mocked, killed, and will raise from the dead. Now this graphic description of what is going to happen to Jesus leads us right into Mark chapter 10, verse 35. And that's an amazing thing, and you'll, you'll see why I'm talking about it in just a second. So we're going to read this, and then we'll unpack. In verse 35, this is, what, this is, the, exact, this is the conversation that starts right after. Jesus has just explained, I'm going to die. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came over and spoke to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do us a favor. 
What a great way to start a prayer, right? <laughs> Dear God, start with a favor. Whenever somebody says, I want you to do me a favor, I'm always like, mm, tell me what you're asking first. Don't start with, do me a favor. Tell me what you want, and then I'll consider it. But Jesus didn't. He entertained them. He said, what's your request? He asked. They replied, when you sit on your glorious throne, we want to sit in places of honor next to you. On your, one on your right and the other on your left. This is in effect, James and John going, Jesus, get in here. That's what it is. It's James and John pulling up next to Jesus. Hold on, hold on. My, my smile's not right yet, Jesus. Hold on. There we go. That's better. Post to Facebook. Post to Twitter. Everyone knows I know Jesus now because I took a picture with him. Anyways, he continues. <clears throat> you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink from the bitter cup of suffering I'm about to drink? Are you able to be baptized with the baptism of suffering I must be baptized with? Oh, yes, they replied. We are able. Then Jesus told them, You will indeed drink from my bitter cup and be baptized with my baptism of suffering. But I have no right to say who will sit on my right and my left. God has prepared those places for the ones he has chosen. When the ten other disciples heard what James and John had asked, they were indignant. So Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers in this world lord it over their people, and officials flaunt their authority over those under them, but among you it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave to everyone else. Just drink that in for just a second. To everyone else. That doesn't exclude anyone. That means everyone else. There's no pulled punches. There's no kind of lightening the load. There's no kind of, well, if you get around to it. No, it's everyone else. And then Jesus concludes in verse 45. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. I do wonder what led to John asking and James asking this question. I do wonder if they, they were focusing on all they did not have as followers of Christ. They're like, man, we're following this guy around who's bringing in his kingdom. We ain't got nothing. Dude doesn't even have a house to sleep in, man. What's that about? Like, I wondered if maybe they compared themselves to their friends from high school, and they were like, man, they're living the dream. Here I am eating bugs and stuff. I don't know. I'm in the desert following this guy around. i got to get something out of this deal. I wonder if their hearts were frustrated with how Jesus was leading and how they thought Jesus should lead. I wonder if they were like, you know, Jesus, you got this power. You should be using it for something. I wonder if their thoughts on who the Messiah would be were confused and conflicted and they thought maybe dominance would come in with, this, with Jesus. You know, I think maybe James and John were just kind of no longer content with being known by God and they wanted something else. You see, when they asked for this, when they asked for this whole thing, it was so crazy to me because they missed Jesus saying, I'm going to be killed. 
Like, I wonder if they had worked themselves up so much. It's like, all right, I got to ask. I got to ask. I got to do the thing. I got to say the thing. I got to say this thing. We thought about this long enough. We got to say it. We got to say it. I'm going to die. Anyways, Jesus, whatever you were saying, can you give us this place of authority right next to you? Like, I wonder if they were so worked up because they wanted something to show just the evidence of him knowing them. Oh, Jesus is a king. When he goes into his glory, then maybe if I sit on his right and you sit on his left, people will know we know Jesus. That's what we took the picture with you for, Jesus. So I posted it on Facebook, on Twitter, Jesus, because I want people to know that I know you and you know me. But Jesus twists this around on them because he meets them with the cross. He doesn't actually shame them. He doesn't say, whoa, 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 back up. Let's start this conversation over. This time, try the right phrase. He doesn't embarrass them. He just goes, well, let me ask you a couple questions. Because he starts with, you don't know what you're asking. And I have to feel like this is from the Father's heart, to be honest. You know, Jude, every once in a while, will mention to me, he's like, and it'll come out of nowhere, be like, Dad, I think I want to be a pastor. And I'm like, Kind of rejoicing, but then I'm very cautious. Because sometimes I go, I don't, I, don't, I don't know if he knows what that means yet. Maybe he does, and I don't want to encourage that. But there's this cautionary thing in me that wants my son to know what he's stepping into. And I feel like that's what Jesus does with the disciples. He meets their arrogance and their misunderstanding with his kindness because he lets them know what's going to happen. And Jesus unpacks it with them. He says, are you able to drink from the bitter cup of suffering that I'm about to drink? Are you able to be baptized with the baptism of suffering I must be baptized with? See, with this whole idea of a cup, symbolically in the scripture, it typically meant the full judgment of God. I'm going to drink this cup. I'm going to take on the judgment of God. I'm going to bear that weight. But it also can mean that I'm the one who's participating in this. And so he's telling the disciples, are you willing to participate in the suffering that I'm about to go through? Are you willing to be baptized? And the word right there is immersed. And you guys know what the phrase jumped in with both feet means? That's what he's talking about. Completely covered up in the suffering that's going to happen because of the good news of the gospel. Are you willing to do those things? And this is where the disciples kill me. Because James and John, I'm sure he's like, dude, he's a king. How bad can the suffering be? Just go with me on this, okay, James? Yeah, we can. Like, I feel like that's, that's kind of how they were going, you know. Dude, we have cleaned fish guts most of our life. We know suffering. He's a king. How bad can the suffering be, right? Right? Okay. Yeah, we can do it, Jesus. And Jesus responds to them with this, you will. You will drink from the cup and you will be baptized with the suffering that I've gone through, that I will go through. And for those of you that don't know, all of the disciples, (coughs) except for two, died a martyr's death. Judas hung himself. You know, and John was boiled and survived being boiled and then was exiled to an island, you know, little things. But every one of the disciples, except for those two, were martyred for their faith. They died for this cause that Jesus' ransom would be known 
to the world. Now, you've read about the cup other places in, in the New Testament. In Matthew, in particular, verse 20, uh, chapter 26, verse 39. Here we see a picture of these men who want to be on the right and left of Jesus. And they can't even stay awake in Jesus' most despairing hour. And in verse 39 it says, He went on a little farther, and this is Jesus, bowed down with his face to the ground, praying, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Many theologians suggest that the victory over the enemy's plan obviously was announced in Genesis. But in the garden where Jesus wrestled with this understanding of, I'm going to have to die for the sins of the world. For Jesus to say, not my will, but your will be done. The victory, the enemy was crushed. And Jesus' understanding of the Father's will being more important, more greater, more grander than Jesus' desire for comfort. Jesus says to the disciples ultimately that the way the world will know that you know me is not through a picture with me, is not through a selfie, but it's the way you suffer so that other people will know the ransom that was paid in Christ. What are you willing to suffer for? Are you suffering for yourself? Then Jesus is saying, no one's going to know that you know me. What Jesus is saying is if you're willing to suffer for the sake of others, that's going to do more than any selfie picture, Facebook post that gets 100 likes, Twitter thing that gets retweeted 50,000 times. That's going to speak louder than anything that you could do on your own suffering for yourself. Jesus just declares that. And he says the ransom that will be paid. And when you and I think of ransoms, what do we think of? Kidnappings, right? That's what we think of. Jesus uses the word ransom here in the understanding of a, a debt that is paid for a slave or prisoner so that person can go free. Tim Keller words it this way. Since the slavery Jesus is dealing with is of the cosmic kind, that is cosmic evil, it required a cosmic payment. Jesus is saying, I will pay the ransom that you couldn't possibly pay, and it will procure your freedom. This ransom. See, I think sometimes Christ followers, we just like to guilt trip each other, and we're like, well, Jesus, serve. You should serve. Folks, that doesn't work. What works is a clear understanding of why Jesus came. And he came to give his life as a ransom for many. He served and he gave his life as a ransom. He served as fully as you can possibly serve. He didn't just serve to the point of almost dying. Oop, that whip felt too much. Can't do that. I'm done. I'm out. I like the whole washing people's feet, healing people, raising people from the dead, feeding people. I like that. But the whip, whoop, that's a little too much. Nope. Mm-mm, I'm out. <clears throat> So thankful that he didn't. Because you and I would still be dead in our sins because of it. See, the understanding of why we serve comes from the one who served us. As clearly as I can put it, the motivation behind our heart to serve others with these hands is because I know my Savior has nail-marked, nail-scarred hands. He served us to the fullest Extent. Now, for the Christians to say this statement in the Gospel of Mark, as I told you, was written to the fast-paced Roman lifestyle. Now, if there was one thing Romans knew about, it was gods. 
They had a bunch of them. Most individual homes had individual spirits that they would pray to, that they would worship to, that they would would make small sacrifices for. Some of the stories of how superstitious the Romans were involved releasing sheep into the city. And anywhere those sheep decided to lay down, they would sacrifice the sheep to a god who wanted to be appeased right in that place. And sometimes they would build altars for them right there. I mean, that poor sheep's like, dude, I'm walking around. Oh, man, I feel tired. I think I'm going to lay down. Why are you slitting my throat? But if the Romans knew anything, they knew about gods. And one thing was clear about them is that none of their gods served. So for the Christians to say that there is one God and he is Lord over all your man-made gods, and this one God chose to serve us, would cause Romans to laugh in the, in the face of Christians, but it would also cause them to question and to wonder, who is this servant God who's come to rescue And it caused many people to believe in Jesus. See, if Jesus' followers had told a story of a servant king, yet demanded that everyone pay attention to them, serve them, look at them, there would have been great confusion. The church, the early church, was known for her selflessness as a result of Jesus' self-sacrifice. The church looked at Jesus, and she did as he did. See, that's what, John, that's what Mark is trying to communicate through his gospel, is this whole thing of following Jesus is a combination of imitating him and obeying his word. That's what following Jesus looks like. I don't get to make up how I follow Jesus. We've been given his words. We've been given his, a picture into his life. And Mark's idea of following Jesus is imitating his life combined with an obedience to his words. And the reason we do it is because we can know it's true. It's truer than anything our hearts or ears or brains could ever hear. And this is what we're invited to. That same invitation to the early church was the invitation to us, the church today. See, evidence of being friends with Jesus is not found in pictures we take with him. It's found in our hands and how we use them, our words and how we speak. Do we lord our authority over people? Do we flaunt our leadership, or are we a servant to everyone? I know some of you may be like, Jason, this is a really weird way to ask for people to help out at the church. See, here's our problem. If we're convinced that the only time we serve is at a church, we have a way deeper problem than we need need to deal with before. (laughs) See, Jesus said, a servant to everyone else. This involves how do I as a dad serve my kids so that they know the ransom that was paid? How do I as a husband serve my wife so that she knows the ransom that was paid? How do I serve my friends so that they know the ransom that was paid? How do I serve those who don't know Christ so that they know the ransom that was paid? It's not just about serving in a building. And we do have a lot of people that walk in these rooms and these these places who are convinced of the ransom of Christ so they have prepared a place for you to encounter that ransom. That's why they do what they do. I need the reminder of why I do what I do all the time. But the reason we were given these hands is to become servants to all so that they might know the ransom that was paid. I don't just serve so I can go, hey, look, I'm sweeping up. Hey, look, I went on a mission trip. Here's some kids. They're hungry, and I'm with them. That doesn't communicate that we know Jesus. 
It's the world's way of saying you might know Jesus or Jesus might know you, but the way Jesus said that we will be known as his followers is the way we serve everyone else. And I love that Jesus didn't pull any punches. He didn't make it easy because he wanted us to know the cost to follow him. Am I intentional about how I can serve so that someone might encounter the ransom that was paid for them in Christ? That's a question that I have to ask myself every day. I know the danger of the selfishness that lies in my heart. I do. And it takes me looking at Christ to see that selfishness be broken down. I have to wage war against the sin that desires to have me according to Scripture. And that comes by understanding the ransom that was paid through what Christ did on the cross. So the guys are going to come and we're going to close in worship this morning. And so I'll ask you these questions. Did God give us arms to take the perfect selfie? Did God give us hands to build our little castles? Did God give us arms so that we would serve ourselves and hold on to our things so tightly that we have no room to extend hands to other people? Or do Jesus' hands indicate another reason for our existence? Do Jesus' nail-pierced hands, His scars, serve us as a reminder of why these hands exist? You see, the selfie, the picture thing is not the issue. It's the desire to tell my story that's the issue. It's the desire for people to look at me and like me and want to, to know me and everything I know and everywhere I've been and all the people I hang out with. That's the issue, the deeper heart issue that Christ came to address. And he didn't just talk about it. He displayed it. He displayed selflessness. He displayed self-sacrifice so that we might do the same. And in doing so, people would know the ransom that was paid in Christ. Jesus said, it will be different. He didn't say it should be. He said, among you, talking to his disciples, it will be different. Not it should, not it could, but it will be different. You will serve, you will serve everyone. Why? Because Jesus did. See, the gods of today's world say, you serve me, you might find salvation. Jesus said, I serve you to purchase your salvation. Why do we have these hands? Look at Jesus's. If you're confused, look at Jesus's. Lord, thank you. Thank you for your, not just explanation, but the life that you lived that communicated much more about why we exist, and that is to tell your story. Lord, I know that this year has been dubbed the year of the selfie, but maybe 2015 could be the year the body of Christ is marked by selflessness, by self-sacrifice, by rolling up sleeves and finding ways to bless others. 
But Lord, don't let us be guilted into that, shamed into that, but by your Spirit, the ransom that Christ has paid would be made known clearly to us. It's in your name we pray.